0: Hello and welcome to the New Model Advisor podcast. I'm Ollie Smith, online producer here at NMA, and today I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Sean Port, who's the Chief Investment Officer of Robo Investor Nutmeg. Hello, Sean. Hello. How are you? Very good. Good stuff. We're also joined in the studio by NMA regulatory reporter Elliot Smith, who's here to tell us who is hot and who is not in the past week. Elliot, what's the crack?
1: It's kind of twofold. The robo-investing world as a whole in the SCA's eyes wasn't particularly hot at all uh, last week. Okay. Um, the SCA had some some choice words for robo-advice and online discretionary investment management firms, which we'll call ODIMs just so I can avoid repetitive strain injury. Um, so there are a lot of failings that the SCA highlighted on suitability and disclosure. Um, Assessing firms against the, the COBS 9 rules, the, uh, the SCA found that many ODIMs were not evaluating uh, clients' knowledge and experience or investment objectives, capacity for loss, um, that sort of thing in their suitability assessments. Um, some firms weren't asking about any of that at all. Um, on the automated advice, or sort of streamlined advice front, um, some services were accused of kind of half-baking their fact finds, uh, relying on assumptions about clients. Um, some of them failed to request or gather information about customers' debt, outgoings, personal circumstances and, and that sort of thing. Um, some instances r- were also recorded of uh, robo-propositions recommending a, a different transaction to one that eventually took place. Um, clients could essentially disregard advice without any safeguards or risk warnings to challenge that decision, mm. um, which just kind of blurs the lines between whether the business transacted on the advice of the the automated proposition yeah. or whether it's a, an execution only or insistent client sort of basis. Um, also, some, some mobile advisors required vulnerable consumers to self-identify as vulnerable, which is one that I found particularly mm. interesting. Very interesting behavioural
0: um, insight there. Yeah. Who's yeah. going to do that? <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Um, so, yeah, so a clear uh, sort of trap there. And um, the sort of service and fee-related disclosures on ODIMs were also... Uh, unclear um, and some didn't clarify what, whether the service was advised, non-advised, uh, discretionary, non-discretionary. Um, all in all a bit of a shit show but uh, generally the, the SCA seemed to think that you know, it was going to be constructive in the long run. Um, you know that this nipping us in the bud early and, and giving firms the material to, to address it was, uh, was going to be necessary and productive.
0: Mm. Sean, a pretty negative review as Elliot said. Um, what did you make of the FCA's statements? Do you think it will be broadly constructive for people operating in that space?
2: Well, I think first off it's great that they've come in early and looked at the sector. And I think if you looked at the, looked at the range of firms now that are providing these kind of services, they're, they're quite varied. So some firms have only been around for a year, okay. some are incumbents, adapting their propositions for these new kind of models, and there are people like us that have been around for, you know, been, been regulated for, for more than six years. We established this sector. and since then we've been in constant dialogue with the regulator to help them understand our model and, and how we work within within the regulation. So mm. it's surprising that the regulator made this comment that you know some firms treat offline to having different rules to, to online, uh, sorry online different to offline, which yeah. really surprised us. It's never been any doubt that the rules apply to us the same as they would to a face-to-face advisor or, or to any offline models compared to, to digital models. So that was quite a surprise. I think um, you know, for us it's a really good that the FCA is looking at the sector very closely to level the, the playing field and um, I think it's quite helpful overall. So from our perspective there's not really anything negative in this, in this report, you know, we were part of the, of, the, of the conversation with the FCA mm. as part of the, of the survey. So it's interesting and I think it's positive and good for the FCA to be involved early.
0: Um, you say you were part of the conversation, kind of specifically what engagement did you have with them about
2: it? Um, so this dates back to last year. I think we had some engagement around some of the language we use. So when we when we describe um, uh, parts of the service, what we do, we always test that with customers. So we talk to customers about how we wh- how what language you use and how we describe our service. So uh, there were some languages, the pieces of language we had to change. I think we could tighten up a bit better, mm. but that was really a result of asking customers how they would describe uh, this part of the, part of the service. So uh, there were some things that we we tightened up there, but really, I think. What's surprising actually is that, that, that the regulator highlighting costs and charges disclosure. And, you know, we, thought, we think we've built with the best disclosure of costs and charges in the industry. and So far in general, I've been disappointed with the rest of the industry that hasn't really lived up to the spirit not just the letter of the MIFID 2 rules about cost disclosure. So if you look at our website along costs and charges disclosure in pounds and pence for every single minutiae of of costs, Uh, we haven't seen that across the whole industry, not just in the online uh, sector, but of course uh, the incumbents as
0: well. Um, That's a brilliant note on which to segue into our next topic um, on disclosure. I'm going to bring Elliot back in here because Team members on the NMA news desk have been using Robo investors, uh, using actual real money to see what the experience is like, to see what returns uh, you can get. Um, so to explain in, in full detail, we have news editor Charles Wormley, who's been using Money Farm. Uh, Jack Gilbert, who's our senior reporter, has been using Simply EQ. Elliot, you've been using. Oh, well. Wealthify and Shanil uh, Roy Chowdhury, who's our investment editor, has been using Destination <coughs> Financial Planning. Now, I just wanted to ask you, Elliot, uh, what did you make specifically of the cost and fees disclosure on Wealthify? Did you feel as though it was uh, intuitive and easily understandable for someone perhaps not as um, well educated or upon financial issues as you are?
1: Um, I, there were I think over time they they've actually become clearer. The percentages are, are broken down in terms of the, uh, the the fund charges and the ongoing service charges. But um, similarly, there isn't necessarily that um, that kind of basic key, the, the sort of clarity that uh, a, somebody with no experience of, of investment would need to be able to um, easily identify, you know, discretionary, non discretionary, all, all that sort. Those those the, the definitions that one needs to understand when choosing a An investment solution aren't necessarily that clear Um, but then again I kind of have a different purpose for it to somebody who is necessarily trying to you know really save for later life I mean for me it's it's a little bit of money aside each month as a kind of rainy day fund or a bit of a a nest egg sort of thing so um, it's I, I think I think those sorts of propositions primarily for for that that's fine but I think there's a long way to go before they could be a sort of wholesome financial planning kind of solution.
0: Mm. Great, you mentioned financial planning. Sean, do you have a vision of how sort of the new model of advice as we cover it, and the life planning and the financial planning and the holistic model of looking at clients' finances and bringing everything together with a a detailed plan for the uh, the long term, um, how that actually could interact with something like uh, Nutmeg's services?
2: Yes, so we believe actually a lot of the the advice journey will be digitized in the future. Now you're you know, thinking ahead, I think 10 years is way too long to think about how this will evolve. I think in the next three to five mm-hmm. years, you'll see quite a radical way in how advice is delivered. Okay. Certainly in the way we've been talking to our current clients and future clients is about how they want to receive advice. It's very modular, it's not just a complete holistic view. They do actually want advice on specific things rather than all of their uh, their financial world. But I think overwhelmingly, the advice journey will be digitized. and. If you look at the advice gap, there you was know, a the great survey that showed that more than 5 million people want financial advice but weren't prepared to pay the current prices. So mm. we think that financial advice provided now is hugely valuable, but it's only really delivered to, to a limited number of people, partly because there are not enough advisors there partly because the current prices are probably too high for, for most people to pay. So there is a massive opportunity to solve the advice gap using digitization of the great service that people already deliver. In the same way that you've taken an online discretionary service, made it digital, we can do the same with advice.
0: Mm. Um, that's all very well. Um, I mentioned that our team members had been using um, these various um, robo-investors. Um, um, one experience I wanted to talk about specifically was Chenille's. Uh, Because uh, Chanel wrote in our latest magazine edition of how he looked at his valuation report on destination financial planning, which claimed that he was invested in something called the Dimensional Multi-Option Global Perspective Portfolio. Now, you don't need to know anything about that. uh, But this was not actually a dimensional fund at all. It was set up and run by Parmenian. Um, And I don't think Chanel is wrong when he said in his article that that's actually quite misleading. So isn't this precisely what the FCA is on about when it's talking about problems with de- disclosure? And doesn't that worry you a little bit that we have this sort of grand vision of, of how everything will become automated? But actually the detail and the practicalities of it are a lot more complicated and on specific things like actually telling people um, the simple stuff about what a fund is and you know, who's actually in charge of it, that, that seems to be going wrong.
2: Yeah, well, I'm surprised that that's going wrong, Um, doesn't need to go wrong, that would be a problem whether you're an offline, online uh, model, Mm. Um, you know, clearly we, as I said earlier, we have the same responsibility to apply to the rules whether offline or online, Mm. Um, so that we take that very, very seriously. so I think when it comes to delivering advice, we believe a lot of that journey can be digitised. Some of the more complex issues will require a person, I think, uh, you yeah, know, that is still really valued by many people, but mm. I think a lot of that journey can be digitised to make it lower cost and more accessible. But um, regarding to this issue, this is just a simple issue that shouldn't, shouldn't be there.
0: Mm. I was interested to hear that you sort of shortened my time frame when I said sort of 10 years, um, three to five years. Um, We've seen well, maybe
2: I give you a, a very simple case. Um, you know, I've built my own version of Alexa um, out of a thirty-pound computer, and I'm not a coder. So this is all open source, right? So the the issue is, sorry to to, to jump in. Was this a Raspberry Pi? Yeah, I mean it's very simple. You can get the stuff off GitHub, uh, and I'm not a coder. Um, So all this technology is available open source and free. What the issue is around is the data and the quality of your data. So one of the big advantages a model like ours has is actually the data lake and understanding customers' behavior through data, not just on on a conversation. So last year we had more than 100,000 client interactions a lot of that data can be digitized but we also know from customers behavior and the way they interact with our service and with us we can get really important insights out of that so uh, when it comes to issues like suitability you know we've done huge amount of things to digitize the existing suitability process that you'd see in with a with an advisor mm. but we think that you can improve on those using data and so that's really the next step from suitability it's not just doing a service providing a service as good as now as good as offline it's actually how do you deliver even better more accurate suitable assessments that's ongoing rather than more about a, an annual retest of a customer really understanding and predicting changes
0: how long did it take you to build your own version of alexa uh, a couple of hours to be honest a couple of hours
2: <laughs> yeah and that's what, that's me not knowing what i'm doing really and not being a coder i mean this is this is all open source so it's 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 not tricky even for someone like me
0: okay what's this going to look like in three to five years' time in terms of a user um, interface? Because it seems to me that all of these things are available on iPad, you can download apps, have them on your phone, you can even look at your uh, investments on your Apple Watch, I presume, or something something of that kind. Um, What's it going to look like in the future? Is there, am I going to have a computer chip in my hand that projects information into thin air that I can drag and drop around. What's the long term vision? Quite
2: possibly. I think it's very difficult for anyone to say what the next even five years will look like compared to the next 10 years. We know that we're moving quite quickly to voice. So we're skipping mobile and going straight to voice. So okay. talking to, you might be even talking to your fridge actually and asking you know, your fridge, how's your nutmeg portfolio performing today? You know, we've already got tests running on Alexa talking about your portfolio performance and actually relatively simple to implement more the security layer that's the complex thing to do so mm-hmm. we don't really know actually what will our, our main in- interface be in the home for example that could be any device around the home that speaks to you so mm-hmm. I think over when we were skipped to voice uh, and that brings some interesting challenges um, I think but you know given the pace of change in, in artificial intelligence and using data um, particularly for us around machine learning it will move quickly
1: to voice and actually the idea of going to your desktop or going to your mobile will become quite redundant.
0: Alec, mm. do you have an Alexa?
1: I don't. I used to have one. I say I used to. I used to have a housemate that was uh, well off enough to be able to splash out on one for the kitchen when we wanted to put music on and that sort of thing. Um, it was an interesting piece of apparatus, especially when you know every now and then it would just chip in and interrupt our conversations with a random factoid. Um, completely, really? Yeah, completely unprovoked. Um, but generally, it's just so useful, like, so convenient to be wandering around cooking. Just you know, Alexa, put on whatever song you know I, I fancy listening to from the entire musical universe. So you
0: did like you did like it as a as a product. There is sort of mileage in it.
1: Yeah, I mean, in sheer, sheer convenience, I wouldn't necessarily splash out as much as my housemate did at the time yeah. to, to finance that convenience. But it was definitely. Uh, yeah there's definitely an appeal
0: so given that you're <laughs> clearly already in the market for using these sorts of products um both on the investing side and the you know playlist in the kitchen side um could you see yourself using something like that in the future if, if there was a kind of an equivalent alexa for investments that you wanted to look at on your fridge
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i think um i have a, a bit of a um it's a string of bad luck with technology malfunctioning on me, um, phones and laptops and that sort of stuff. So, I think that the possibility of just being able to ask a question audibly and get an answer would take a lot of, uh, a lot of the strain there because, uh, well, hopefully, you know, it, would, it would provide a, a suitable answer and I wouldn't get r- really aggrieved and start smashing it up. <laughs> <So, laughs>
0: Sean, um, the robos out there are backed by some pretty big businesses. Um, you included, you guys are gathered backed by Schroders. Allianz has a significant minority stake in stake in money farm, BlackRock has backed scalable capital. Um, it strikes me that, that these companies were kind of established as disruptors and you know, to sort of say, well, you don't have to do your investing like in the traditional way with these big traditional firms, and yet they, you know, they're invested in by these big businesses. So I wanted to ask you, how important is the independence of robo investors from much bigger businesses Um, and is it the case that asset managers are not actually that worried by companies like yours because they're just sat there thinking well Whoever challenges us, we'll buy. We'll just buy them.
2: <laughs> that's <laughs> quite a cynical view. <laughs> no, I, I think so asset managers. I'll just, I'll take that as a compliment, <laughs> okay, by the way. Okay, yeah, I, I think asset managers are looking at new models and saying, "Is, is, is this going to be the key stream of distribution uh, away from the existing streams of distribution?" So that's okay. I think that's particularly their interest. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Independence is still you know very very important to us. We have complete open architecture to choose. Um, which fund we think is the best fund and deliver the best fund. And that is really uh, very key on principally on costs and total cost of ownership and how How well the product uh, functions. So we've been quite keen backing some new ETFs, for example, in the market, and been early investors in there, help those get to scale. So we're we're very active in, in in backing new products, which we think are very cost competitive, and actually the largest ETF providers uh, in in the industry, actually one of the lowest weights in our portfolios, um, partly because we are always looking for newer. Uh, more cost competitive uh, funds mm. and that's partly also our infrastructure is designed around being fully independent so uh, we trade over the counter which means that we don't necessarily look at on-exchange um, trading volume as being our key metric for a, for an ETF. So you know, we've built our arch- architecture around getting the best from ETFs and that's really crucial to having independence around that. Mm.
0: Tell me more about ETFs because uh, just for listeners, uh, How long have got? Uh, Lawrence <laughs> our Lawrence Lever, our executive chairman, came in earlier to the studio to say hello and uh, he told me to ask you about ETFs because apparently you have some interesting opinions about them.
2: Well I, th- I, think, I think this goes back to a good conversation with Lawrence about really about the ETF industry itself is developing at such a rapid pace that um, I think it's really being, uh, it's kind of under the radar because they're very much institutional products. Um, and the the retail interest so far has been very very light and it's been around the core products particularly around the core equity but really the ETFs are used across the industry they use what we call a liquidity slice within the funds that many people buy mm. um, trading volume is going up but most of that is over the counter so you don't necessarily see it um, as reported but this industry is growing very rapidly and I think um, these are really disruptive tools for the investment management business and despite their regarded as being new they've been around for what 28 years yeah. or so so we certainly are very enthusiastic about the of industry and it's growing very rapidly.
0: Mm. Who does not make dis- uh, regard as a disruptor? I think that's quite an important question here because um, you are disruptors at the moment. But is there anyone on the horizon? I'm thinking maybe in the states um, that you think ah, actually these guys are good or or similar.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of interesting offerings. I think in the US, particularly, the focused VC-backed businesses are focused on acquiring customer uh, very large customer bases. Uh, with zero revenue. And it's quite an interesting model. Um, But basically promoting a free service, a free investing service, whether that's FX trading or uh, share trading. So they're quite interesting in terms of how they're attracting customers and how the business model works. But really, if you're looking for the innovative models, you need to look to China. Uh, And the way the asset management business works in China is, is very, very interesting. The scale they've achieved very, very quickly, how it's very much mobile focused and voice focused rather than your traditional desktop. How have they done that? Um, using technology, so it's massively technology powered, Uh, very interesting distribution is largely through chat engines, Um, so they are the models that have really exploded. Quite interesting from a compliance perspective, from a Western perspective, looking at a fund supermarket in China, how funds are promoted um, okay. around sort of one month, three month returns. But um, care to elaborate? Uh, <laughs> well, I think it's it's uh, you know if you if you imagine uh, an Amazon page with lots of percentage returns flashing up in front of you about one month, three month returns, and mm. customers turning over, yeah, it's quite a you should struggle
0: to do that. Something similar. Right? You, you
2: shouldn't do that. similar here, but I think it's very interesting about how they've attracted customers through chat and through payment systems. Okay.
0: Does it not it have a, a kind of chat bot? Um,
2: we, we don't. We've developed some internally, but really about how we improve our client service and whether whether they do or not. So far, we haven't thought that they're good enough to deploy to customers. Mm. You know, for us, if we can give people more instant response and accurate responses for some simple questions, particularly around ISAs, around the ISIS season, that would be very useful, but I don't think we've got to the level that we think we should release them to to clients. It's
0: interesting to hear you talk about customer bases and large customer bases. Um, That's a question of distribution. Um, We've seen news today about uh, a large national, I think national advice company, Lighthouse, uh, doing effectively a deal with a big union uh, to advise union members. And I just wondered whether that was something uh, that could be a model for the future to include uh, people like Nutmeg, you know, could you see yourselves doing a big kind of bulk deal with uh, another organisation to say okay well we'll advise all of your employees or we'll advise all your members, is that is that on the horizon?
2: Uh, that's always up for discussion I think, there's always up for, if you find the right partner you absolutely want to do that but it needs to be the right partner I think the Holy Grail is the, the main non-financial services companies with really credible brands. Which don't have a financial services offering. So okay. um, I think that's always an interesting proposition to, to, a, to get access to the right kind of clients uh, rather than going through the additional avenues.
0: Hmm. Question about marketing.
2: Um,
0: I use the tube, as I'm sure you do. Um, a couple of years ago, Nutmeg's adverts seemed to be c- sort of quite cartoony. They featured this was it a bear yep. in a suit that would say, you know, just nutmeg it, as so I to say it doesn't have to be that complicated, just go to Nutmeg. Um, it's a lot simpler now. Nutmeg's marketing seems to be very um, sort of professionalised, if I can use that word. It seems to be aimed at kind of your urban millennials who care about their gym membership and keeping fit and keeping track of, which is obviously Elliot. yeah. We are we are the target market, not quite sold yet. But why? Can I just ask why did that why did that approach change?
2: Well, we're always. Looking to find the best approach, and and it's always a test and learn approach to understand what's the best way to engage with customers to get the right message across. And it's not just about the simplicity message making investment easy, it's actually a professional professional service that hasn't been available to to most people before. So, you know, online discretionary investment service is new to, to many people and that's been one of our interesting challenges over the last five years, describing what a discretionary investment manager does, or even saying to you can have a wealth manager is a bit alien to some people Mm. that haven't invested before in particular.
0: How would you describe it to my nan?
2: The service we provide? Yes. What would you say? (laughs) To your nan? I haven't met your nan before. (laughs) So I would say um, we're providing a really high quality investment service where we look after investments for you, we manage them for you, we report to you, you can see how much uh, your how well your performances are doing on a daily basis, you can see how much you've paid in fees on pounds and pence, we keep things very easy, it's very easy to use. So if you look at the way our customers describe our service, one of the main things they describe is ease of use and transparency on fees, they're very, very important. Investment performance tends to come sort of fourth or fifth. Really? Uh, despite our hard work on delivering great investment performance. <laughs> <all this>, <laughs> is that a bit disappointing
0: for, for the CIO? Uh, of, uh, yeah, of, the
2: of course it is. Uh, <laughs> um, okay. But yeah, certainly ease of use and transparency of fees is something that really resonates um, with us.
0: Okay. Um, I'm sure if you said that statement to my Nan that she would say that uh, she'd spoken to the lovely man, uh, not Meg, um, <laughs> they
2: had a great chat. So um, I mean, that's, that's the thing, that you know, since we, we launched we've had people in our client service team that have been speaking to customers, telling them what an ISA is, you know, despite how, however, you put great content on the on our website to tell them what an ISA is, what the features of an ISA is, why you should have an ISA, mm. people still want to ring up and say, what's an ISA? Um, so we've had, we've got a great client service team, as I said, 100,000 interactions last year and chat, chat and, uh, and web.
0: You mentioned earlier that you had, um, was it 100,000? C- customer interactions uh, was this last year yeah. in 2017. Um, do you have any sort of sense of a regional breakdown there? You know, are, there, are, th- is this, uh, are these conversations taking place with people primarily in cities, or you know, is there a surprising corner of Dundee that is, you yeah. know, very pro nutmeg? Uh, there
2: actually is sort of, a lot sort of, of nutmeg of clients <laughs> in uh, in the southeast and around Edinburgh, actually. Um, okay. So, not surprisingly, you know, given we're a you know, a small and up and coming company we've concentrated our marketing spend in certain areas where we think we get greatest reach not surprising that's london transport system and the southeast okay. but also we've explored you know campaigns around different metro areas um, and transport networks um so not surprising we've got customers there but we have customers all over the over the um over the country. We've got an interesting map in the office of every, where every customer is and it's pretty much the whole of the UK. Nothing in Shetland, I don't think, but uh,
1: pretty much. Mm. My mate's brother lives in Shetland. Get, get him Some on that. Yeah, he could uh, be the first. The line, yeah. <laughs> would,
0: you, would you be willing to give him a prize?
1: Put him on marketing campaigns, just make sure that it's not live. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps the less said about that, the better. <laughs> that, that's interesting. That's very interesting. Finally, I have a question about what it means to be the CIO of Notmeg. What, what does, I thought this yesterday, what does that actually involve? What do you do? What's, <laughs> what's a typical day in the life of, of Sean Port? Do you get up and I do get up, have yeah. six o'clock meetings and then you know travel around the system um, and discuss asset allocation? And...
2: Yes, certainly some of that. So uh, as I've, you know, I've been with Nutmeg since you know, pretty much the start, being part of the early team in Nutmeg. So my Nutmeg life has changed and evolved through that period, sure. from pretty much doing everything to, to doing... Lots of things. <laughs> um, so it's quite hard to describe a typical day. You know, One of the things I really concentrate on the start of the day is getting at least 90 minutes to two hours in understanding what's going on in the market. So, what's been happening in Asia, reading research, uh, looking at um, broker notes, and really understand what I think is going on as my sort of foundation, and then starting on the emails for the day and then the day start. Uh, okay. After that, it's very difficult to describe a typical day. You know, Today I'm here at CityWire. A couple of weeks ago I was speaking to 115 global regulators on fintech and then the next day on BBC Breakfast talking about the business papers. So it's, it can be very varied, um, but really the cornerstone is trying to keep focus on markets and, and clients and talking about what we do.
0: Mm. What is going on then? You know, from your,
2: presumably you did some reading this morning,
0: you know, what was your sense when you woke up this morning? of What was actually going on?
2: Well, the, the main thing, of course, is, is Italy. Um, sure. But we are being hit with several new risks at the same time. So you know, the Turkish situation, uh, what's going on in Brazil with, with, with the strikes uh, and Italy as well. And actually repricing some of that political risk back into markets is going to be interesting. So clearly markets I think are going to be a lot more volatile despite the glo- fact that global growth is looking very strong and earnings momentum is still consistently good um, so we think the fundamentals are really good but a lot of these knocks to markets are going to be quite continual a lot of volatility this year so for us the message with our clients you know, we do monthly videos and, and lots of reach out to our clients it's actually saying you know, this is actually relatively normal. Markets are behaving in a volatile fashion, which is actually quite normal. Mm. But the fundamental backdrop still looks particularly strong. And we s- still think we're several years out before we get a global recession. So you know, certainly the, the outlook for the next two years, I think, is still pretty healthy. Mm, OK.
0: I'm just going to pass to Elliot quickly. Is there anything else that you want to ask Sean, Elliot? Any burning questions before we say goodbye?
1: Sean, do you have a nutmeg account yourself?
2: Yes I do actually, so um, I remember the scene really well, It's about uh, a couple of weeks after I was joining and someone was jumping around the office saying we've hit 99 clients, we've hit 99 clients <laughs> and I thought right I want to be customer number 100 so I pretty much within the minute signed up, I hadn't got around to it, so I'm customer number 100, all my financial assets are in Nutmeg, um, I'm a shareholder investor in the business so pretty much I'm all in.
0: Well excellent. Um- This seems like a good note to end on. Uh, Thanks so much to Sean and Elliot for being here. Uh, Thank you, guys. Um, Join us again for another New Model Advisor podcast. And in the meantime, don't forget to follow us on iTunes, where you should leave us a lovely review if you do like what we do. Join us again next time, and thanks for listening. Goodbye.